morning. I'm going to be starting in Mark 6. I've been praying about this word, and uh, Pastor Chad's message last week was just awesome. It was, uh, I just loved the, the joy part of it. I loved the, the historical facts of it. It was, I study every year at this time, I study about the birth of Jesus Christ, and I always learn more and more and more, and I never knew that about the tower. And, uh, but I went back this week and I just studied more about it, and I think he is right on about that tower and the, uh, I mean, who better to investigate the spotless lamb than the shepherds anyway, right? So uh, that was really awesome. So let's get into Scripture here. i got a lot of Scripture. So, so the first week of putting Scripture online, we're going to really test it today. So uh, Mark 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except for in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Uh, let's open up in prayer. Father God, right now, Lord, uh, we just come to you, God, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that, uh, that I would get out of your way as you speak what you want to speak today, God, that we would... We would receive what you have for us, Lord, each of us, and that none of us would walk out of here the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is always a powerful scripture. It's if anybody's, you know, we've all grown up around people who never think you change. You know, I always think when I hear this scripture, I think if I ever became president of the United States of America, and then also found a cure for cancer. And also somehow, you know, found the, the cure for hunger. When I went home, my mom would still say, hey, that's my little baby, right? Like, she'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm proud of him and all, but it, that's not who he is. He's still just my son, you know. My sister would still point out all the stuff I did wrong when I was a kid. My friends would say, I remember when we used to do this. And it would, it'd be all this stuff that's brought up about your past. And that's what Jesus is talking about here, you know. Sometimes people just don't accept who the people are that are doing things. And here's Jesus, the Son of God, 100% God, 100% man, but they only see him as man. They don't see the God part, right? So I want to get into this. and uh, We all know the story of Mary and Joseph, and, and I know like my battle with this message was is we're going to do a lot of talking about the nativity still. We're still going to be talking about Christmas. Now, I know we're after Christmas, but you'll have to bear with me. I, I was wondering the other day if this was the right word, even though it's been given to me. But Christiana and I were talking on Christmas, and we were talking about a lot of these very things, and she said, why don't that get taught? So, hey, we're going to teach it. We're going to talk about it. So, 
We know Mary and Joseph. We know the angel Gabriel came to Mary. Pastor Chad talked about a lot of this last week. We know that that, that she came there, and she had to say yes. And I'm always thinking, like, probably every young woman in that time period wanted to be the mother of the Messiah. It's probably that desire, right? Like, we always, like, young women always dream about the perfect wedding and meeting a prince, and their thought process would have been they knew somebody was going to be the mother of the Messiah. And I'm sure every young woman thought that, like, my son is going to be, you know, nobody ever has a son and be like, that guy's going to be a loser. Instead, when they have a son, you know, guys are like, oh, he's going to be a football player. He's going to be this. Women are like, he's going to be the sweetest man. He's going to be great. He's just going to do such good things. You know, but they would have been thinking like, man, he, he could be, I could give birth to the Savior of the world. Nobody knew who it would be. Now, I'd mind, mind you, I'd imagine most of them had that dream but never thought it could happen. Right? They probably never thought it could be them because, I mean, Mary's just a pretty much a nobody in a small town. And God chose her because she would be willing, but also because of who she was, right? He chooses who he wants to choose, but it's also because of where their heart's at. Joseph, the same way. Joseph's such a good guy, he's about to divorce his, his wife. Quietly, because she got pregnant, you know, and it's, uh, as men, we know that if we're about, if we're engaged to somebody and they wind up pregnant, that's probably not how we operate. We probably blow our top, we probably lose our cool, and we're ready to kill somebody. But not Joseph. He had such a heart. He's like, I still love you. We're going to get through this. You know, I'll do it quietly so you're not ostracized. And, we know their whole story, and we know they both had to be willing to be a part of the nativity. I want to look at everybody else, though. Not just them. I want to look at everybody else who was a part of this story. And uh, I love that Josh had pointed out that, that Christmas isn't about family. You know, oftentimes when you ask people, what's Christmas about? And they're like, oh, you know, it's birth of Christ. It's about family. It's about getting together, giving. And it's... Uh, it's actually not about any of that. Now, hopefully your family gets together and worships Jesus. Hopefully everything you do points towards Him, and hopefully everything you do is in honor of Him. One of the issues we have in our nation, and actually in all of the world, is a man by the name of Nicholas Amira gets worshipped more than Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, Nicholas Amira, and this isn't really necessarily part of the message, but Nicholas Amira would beat us up for that. And, uh, and that's a true statement, because he was a fighting man. Nicholas Amira honored Jesus Christ. He wanted to live his whole life for him. He was actually a bishop in Turkey. It wasn't called Turkey at the time, it was Mira. But he was a bishop, and his whole goal was that he just wanted to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. He went away. While he was away, his rich parents died. He comes back home. He's rich. Didn't want to be rich. He actually wanted to be poor. He wanted to be a peasant for Christ because he knew that was the best way to keep from being distracted. He just wanted to live for Christ. While he was, When he came back, they voted him in as bishop, and he didn't even want to be bishop. God has an a unique way of getting you to where you want to be without you necessarily being 
You know, we have a pastor who's here because God taught him he's going to be our pastor, not because he wanted to be our pastor. We Most of us know how that story worked. And it, uh, and that's what God did with him. And there was a man at the time, uh, oh, his name's eluding me right now, who was a major heretic trying to bring down the theology or the uh, trinity of Christ, saying Christ wasn't part of God, that he was just a man, and he was just a person who was born. And Nicholas was fighting that. He was fighting to save the divinity of Christ. He was fighting to make sure people knew who he was. And the guy wouldn't listen, so he beat him up. It's a true story. He beat him up. We think of him as this fat, jolly white guy with pink cheeks, rosy red cheeks, but he actually was probably tan and kind of grumpy looking. And Even though he did have a great heart, and he did donate all of his money to, to people to help him, and, and that's where a lot of that came from. But he would have beat us up for the way Christmas looks often because we've made it different, and uh, we probably deserve it at times. So Now, I did like that Pastor Rod used to preach that Nicholas served the Lord and made everything about the Lord. And that's that's one way we can take that. So okay, back to scripture. Luke one, uh Luke chapter one. And uh we're gonna go down to verse thirty nine because I have so many scriptures. I'm gonna try to get this. I'm testing uh Connie and, and Braxton to make sure they can keep up with all these scriptures. You know, we're gonna really put it to the test today. So it says uh at the time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town to the, uh, to the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, we know Elizabeth is pregnant with uh, John, John the Baptist, and the angel Gabriel actually visited her before Mary. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That always blows my mind. Like, filled with the Holy Spirit. That didn't mean was accompanied by the Holy Spirit. It says she was filled with the Holy Spirit. That I don't even know how that's possible before Pentecost, but it happened, right? This is a person who was anticipating Jesus, but also was affected by Jesus before he's even born. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. This is a lady who was greatly, greatly influenced by just the presence of the Lord. An unborn baby comes into her presence, and she leaps. The baby inside of her leaps. We know she's completely affected. What's crazy to me about that, though, is Mary would have come in contact with all kinds of people. And this is the only account of like people actually praising. Right? There had to be something different there. There had to be the presence of the Lord. But she knew who she was looking at. She was already told. She knew the the prophecies, not only of the angel, but of all of it. So this is a lady who, who was expecting the Lord to be there, but she was also feeling the presence of the Lord, right? Uh, when we go into Luke 
chapter 2, verse 1, it says, and, no, and Pastor Chad covered some of this last week. I'm sorry for that, but you need it. I need it to get the message to you. But it's going to line up a lot with what Pastor Chad uh, preached last week. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. I'm going to stop there for a second because I want you to see this part where it says he went to the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went to Bethlehem. All people had to go back to where they were from. He was of the lineage of David. He had to go back to Bethlehem. Now, I want you to think about that. Who else would have had to go back to Bethlehem? Everybody in his family. Unless they were already in Bethlehem, which if his family's from there, he probably had family in Bethlehem. Right? So they weren't the only people there. They would have knew a lot of people. Spoiler alert, Mary's family was also of the lineage of David. Chances are her family was there too. I don't know. It doesn't tell us that part, but I do know it says that the lineage of David went back to Bethlehem. And that's where he had to go. Why don't we see the family? Why don't we hear about it? It's not about family. But it does blow my mind that they go back, all the family's there, and it's not written in Scripture about their family. Not totally, at least. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Some Scriptures will say there's no inn ready for them. The NIV does say guest room. That word for guest room is Cataluma. More than likely it did mean guest room and not inn. You know, you often hear messages like, man, none of the inns, and I've even taught it, none of the inns in, in all of Bethlehem were ready. It's a small town. There was probably only one or two inns anyway. And they weren't hotels like ours where there would have been multiple rooms. They would have been smaller, right? But we know from Israel and, and Jewish history that families stayed together anyway. So when you traveled, you would have stayed probably with a family member or a friend, right? And this very word guest room would have actually been more likely used for a guest room in somebody's home. It was an untraditional word for in, and we know Luke was a traditionalist, so he probably would have used a traditional word for in if it was in, right? And we know he was from the area. We know his family would have been in the area, so this probably was guest room, and I'll give you another reason why I think it was guest room, because this is the exact same word used also in Luke 22, verse 11, which I don't have that scripture up here, but I'm going to explain it to you, and you'll remember it. And it's, It was whenever Jesus went to do the Passover, and he sent Peter and John out. And he said, hey, go ahead. You will find a servant there. 
And I want you to go to him and say, my master wants to use the guest room for the Passover. They went to prepare for the Passover. The very same word for guest room or upper room, whatever you want to call it, was the same word used here that Luke used. So it was the same kind of room that was not available for him. So more than likely, their own family did not have room for them. None of their friends had room for them. Nobody in the town had a room for them. And I, I know if you're like me and you're looking at that and you're thinking, a man and his pregnant wife and nobody can make room for him. Now our society is a little different than theirs and they were tougher and I know that, but it just, it's crazy to me. And the only reason I could think that that might be possible was, you remember Joseph was going to divorce Mary because she was pregnant out of wedlock, which would have been nobody accepted him. That's the only reason I can think of it. And I'm not sure if that's 100% true, but I would assume that's why you don't see family anywhere in this scripture. Nowhere during the, the birth, nowhere during the celebrations, nowhere in any of it do you see family except for Elizabeth who knew what was going on. It's the only time you see family. I don't even think, just like the scripture in Mark 6 said, I do not think they were accepted by their own family or friends or anybody who knew them. It's just something that I, I that really sticks out to me. I don't know why that would have been. And Pastor Chad talked last week about the, uh, the angels appearing to the shepherds and telling them who Jesus was, but they were already ready. They were waiting, like Pastor Chad said. They were, they were anticipating what was going to come. There was anticipation. They knew they knew the Messiah was going to come. They knew where the Messiah would be born. And they leaped with joy. They ran. They ran to where Jesus was at because they were anticipating it. Right? And I'm getting somewhere with this, so you'll have to be a little bit patient. If you go to uh, further down in Luke 2, it's in verse 16. It says, So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. That becomes a common theme. That everybody who comes in contact with the Messiah child comes in contact with Jesus in this time period and knows who he is, they can't help but tell everybody. Which is the same way it should be whenever we come in contact with Jesus, we should tell everybody. There should be a rejoicing. There should be a praising that's what happened on Christmas Day. On Christmas Day, they, they praised and they, they worshipped and they were like, oh my goodness, you guys, guess what? Jesus, He's here, the Messiah. It wasn't like, hey, what'd you get for Christmas? They didn't. They went out and told them what they got for Christmas because they got Christ. You know, that's what we got for Christmas. The greatest gift of all time. And that should be what we should be praising and uplifting. And I'm not saying like giving gifts on Christmas and everything like that is bad. I'm not one of these people who think Christmas is a pagan holiday because pagans didn't celebrate Christ. Right? And I know some of you are like, oh, I don't like the way we celebrate it. Get over yourself. And I'm serious about it. it if we are doing things to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and we dedicate our lives to celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, we have a Christmas tree in here. Some people are like, well, that's what the pagans did. 
Pagans didn't have churches, so they didn't put a Christmas tree in a church. So it's how you celebrate. It's why you're celebrating, right? We, we're not Jews. We didn't have to convert to Judaism and celebrate in the way Jew, Jews did. We had to make sure what we were doing was on to the Lord. And the things we do that are on to the Lord, if they are on to the Lord, then they are not pagan. They're Christian. They are our practices and traditions of how we worship our Lord and Jesus. I want you to remember that. Everything we should do, though, should be in that way. A lot of what we do may not necessarily be pagan, but a lot of things we do are secular because it's influenced the way we, we do Christmas. I was thinking the other week about how many times in my life I've went through Christmas and Jesus was the afterthought. Right? He was the afterthought. All of Joseph's family, Jesus was an afterthought. He was just a baby. They never stopped and celebrated him. You know, and it goes back to what Josh was saying. You know, this year, whenever he got it, that Christmas wasn't about family, but it was about Jesus. It rekindled that love, that spirit, that, that connection, because Christmas isn't about spending time with loved ones. That is a blessing we get, and when we spend time with loved ones, it should be to praise Jesus, just like the shepherds. It should be a time that we proclaim who He is. It should be a time that we do rekindle that love, that we remember that in the darkest of the dark, the light came. And that's why we celebrate in December. Everybody's like, well, this ain't even the time he was born. Why don't you guys find his birthday and tell me when it is? Find his birthday and tell me the day he was born. And then we can also celebrate that day. Right? We'll celebrate that day too. We'll have two birthdays for him. But we celebrate it now because in the darkest of the, of the time, we know, which is like December 21st, December 22nd, is the darkest of the darkest, the winter solstice. It's the time whenever it looks like dark is overtaking the world. And then there's a shift for the light to start to come. And we celebrate that because that's when Jesus came, was in the darkest moments. right? So we celebrate it now because it's the beginning of the light to shine. And we know from this day forward that there'll be more and more light. And that's the way we should celebrate Christmas. Every year, hey, I know from this day forward there'll be more and more light. And from the day that we met Jesus and He was born in our heart, there should be more and more light in our lives. And it should spread more and more. All right, where was I at here? Verse 18 said, And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. When we talk about Christmas, people should be as excited by what we tell them as we are to tell it. Whenever we're just like, oh yeah, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, there's no excitement in that. But whenever you get up here like Pastor Chad did last week, and he was like, I have so much joy for Jesus this year. And how many of us walked out of here and like, whoo, I got joy for Jesus. Because he was proclaiming truth. He was proclaiming true joy. He was proclaiming Jesus is born. He was so excited. And that's the way we should be living our lives. Whenever we're on Christmas, we're like, yeah, I don't even have the Christmas spirit. Well, you probably don't. Because it's not about the Christmas spirit, it's about the joy of Christ. Right? And that's what he was trying to tell us last week. Okay. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all 
the things that have they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. There they are glorifying and praising again. It's odd that on Christmas Day, on the, the first Christmas, we know people were honoring and glorifying and praising Jesus. It was all about Him for them. When the time came for the purification rites, Required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with that what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now we get to meet a man named Simeon here and how Simeon received the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was a righteous and devout man. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So he knew that he would see the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the Lord required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Now I want you to remember, they didn't go in and say, hey, here's the Messiah. Now he knew he was going to see the Messiah eventually, but something about when they came in was that, whew, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. There was something about it. He praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel, of your people Israel. Quickly, he praises. He has Jesus. He is holding the baby Jesus, but more than that, he knows who he is. He knows who he is. He gives him honor. The child's father and mother marveled at that. At what was said about him, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And we know that happened. And to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And right there at the beginning of verse 35 where it says, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. I think Christmas Day, even though we worship Jesus every day and we, we praise God for who He is and we, we're grateful that we know every day who Jesus is and we have that relationship, but Christmas Day is a time period that it can reveal to us where our hearts are. And I'm going to tell you how it does that. Now, don't get mad at me because I'm just going to have you think about it and I'm not pointing out anything. You're going to convict yourself, not me. Right? So Friday morning is Christmas Day. And you wake up on Christmas Day. And I am sure there was a lot of joy. But how did your Christmas Day look? Did it look like Simeon's? Did it look like the shepherd's? We're going to get to the wise men here in a minute, as they would be called, or the magi, and 
who had traveled all the way, you know, kept traveling, they took off after Jesus. How did our Christmas Day look? Did it look more like, hey, man, me and my family are having a great time? I mentioned to them who Jesus was. I told them we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, but then we always went about it in a whole different way. How did we go about celebrating who Jesus is? He said he's going to reveal our hearts. And if our hearts are truly focused on Jesus on Christmas Day, it should show more than ever. It should be proclaimed more than ever. We should rejoice more than ever. Part of one of the reasons why this message hits me is I'm a statistics person. I am a person who loves facts. I'm a person who wants nothing but truth, and I, I love to study. And at times I get too far into it, and I have to be careful, but... One of the things out there that, that if you look at statistics and, and facts and what I know to be true from working with young people for so long is that in our society, at one point in time, and I think it was about early 2000, Jason, correct me on this in a minute here, the church as a whole had a biblical worldview of 9%. Is that right? of the people had a biblical worldview, right around there. It was was in the early 2000s, so people actually lived by the Bible, and as Jesus would, 9% had that, or maybe didn't live by it necessarily, but they had a worldview of that's how you should live, 9%. And right now it's down to just under 7%. The odd thing is you would think like, well... You know, young people just don't get it. But actually, seminaries and, and Bible schools and kids going off to college to to uh, learn about the Lord or get into their ministries, schools say have a by far and away the kids who show up are more excited for the Lord than ever in history. More excited for the Lord than ever in history, and uh, it's not even close. But what they've noticed is, is none of them know anything about Scripture. None of them know anything about a biblical basis. And you're thinking, that's really weird. But it's not. Because how much do we teach the Bible in our daily lives? How much do we live it out? How much do we speak it in our homes? On Christmas Day, how much are we actually making it about biblical truths? Kids want to know. They want that relationship. See, and, and the difference is in in the past, people would show up and they'd have a lot of biblical knowledge when they showed up there, but they didn't have this excitement for who God was. They wanted to know Him, but they weren't worried about Him knowing them. Kids nowadays want God to know them, but they're not taking the time to know who He is. So who they're worshiping actually isn't the God of the Bible, but they want the God they're worshiping to know Him. We have to get in that median. We have to not only want to know who God is, we have not only have to want to know who Jesus Christ is, but we also need to be excited for Him to know us. I was thinking about this very thing of, you know, of how different generations look. And, and I would imagine right now if I told a group of people under the age of 40, Actually, if I just told everybody, hey, I'm about to do this great march across the country, and when we get there, we're just going to sit in God's presence and worship and praise, 
and I would probably have a ton of people under the age of 40 and a few over be like, oh, man, this is going to be cool. Right? But then if I said, hey, I'm about to start this Bible study and we're just going to jump real deep into who the Lord is, I would probably have more people over the age of 40 and less under. Because we have a divide right now. Some people want to the spiritual side of things and some people want the biblical basis, but we have to be in the middle. Right? Oddly enough, everybody we see who rejoices, we don't know the age of the shepherds, but everybody who's rejoicing at this time, we're all older people, closer to the end of their lives, rejoicing over the Lord. But, but just something to be thinking about is, do I want to know Him or do I just want Him to know me? I, I love knowing who Jesus is. I love studying the Bible. I love knowing about God. But if that's all I do is know who He is and He doesn't know me, I'm not going to make it. Because Jesus said, I, depart from me, I never knew you. So we need that median. We need to make sure that our celebrations are about Jesus. We need to make sure that we know who we're celebrating also. These things are very important. Verse 36 in that chapter talks about Anna. It says, there, there, also, there was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. I don't know very many ladies who want, want to be in Scripture as being very old. It's great. It's great that you made it in Scripture. And you're like, people will forever know me as the lady who was very old. <laughs> Obviously, Luke did not have the thought process of never talk about a woman's age. She had lived with her husband for only seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Now, I'm figuring she was a widow about 60 years. That's a long time. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. She had dedicated her life to God as a widow. I lost my husband. Now, I'm all about God. That is awesome. We all need to be like Anna. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is a lady who spent her life pursuing God. And when Jesus was in there, she knew. But it said, and she spoke about the child to all. She thanked God and then spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She was telling them, the Messiah is here. The Messiah has come. She knew that by her interaction, by seeing, just by being in God's presence when Jesus came in, she knew who he was. That's who I want to be. I want to be that I always know the presence of God at all times. I want to be that person. But she rejoiced and she shared it. I'm going to go to Matthew 2, Connie. I'm going to skip the last of that. Matthew 2, verse 1 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the same or during the time of King Herod, actually, I'm going to give you a quick rundown of this. I think Pastor Chad has talked about this multiple times, but those of you in leadership classes will learn more too. But King Herod was not a... Uh, a typical Jew. He was not a Jew by birthright. He was actually a converted Jew. His family was converted. Okay, 
So many people never took to the thought process that he was a true king of Judah. They did never they never truly accepted that because by birth he would not have been a king. Right? So he was somebody who was always on guard. And before Jesus was born, there was multiple attempts. There was at least three that we know of attempts of people trying to come and overthrow the king, to establish their own kingdom. Only one of them was even remotely successful, but obviously nobody, you know, you didn't have Simeon and Anna and all them being like, oh, yay, our salvation is here, because they knew that they weren't the Messiah, right? So now... Think of that thought process as everybody wants him overthrown. And then we come to this point after Jesus is born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now I said he was not a Jew by birth, but he would have understood scripture. He would have understood that, wait a minute. The king is born, that would be alarming to him. That would bring fear. But these Magi people would have been even more of a mystery. You know, they always say mysterious. And one thing I've learned about studying about the Magi over the years is they are mysterious. If you have ever tried to study the Magi, you're still trying to study the Magi. There's no true facts about them. There's a lot of speculation of who they were. But one thing that we do know about them was when they got there, whenever they got to Jerusalem, they went to the king. Therefore, they had to be somebody who was renowned, somebody who was known, somebody with some kind of influence, otherwise the king would not have seen them. And they would not have thought that the first thing they should do is go see the king. So there is something to these men. You know, we have the thought process of the three kings, like the king of Persia, uh, Babylon, or whatever it was, and, and Asia. I don't know that that's the case. I don't believe that's actually the case here, but it's possible because they did go right to the king. I don't believe they were actually Jews. I believe they knew Jewish history. There are writings over the years about who these people were, the oldest one, and they're not biblical things. They're, they're, uh, they're just not biblical. They've never been canonized. But the oldest writing we know of these people who actually would have came out around uh, the 5th century, but they believed it was written in the 2nd century, and it's talking about a, a people claiming to be part of this who were the Magi who were over in the Asia area who were called to keep an eye in the sky for the Lord. And uh, I'm not going to get into that too much because I don't know if it's true or not, but we do know from Scripture that there were some kind of people who were astrologists, right? There were somebody who can interpret the stars. And if you've ever seen uh, the video, The Star of Bethlehem, we do know that in that time period there was something going on in the sky that was different than ever before. Whoever these men were, they did know that the star would mark the birth of the Messiah. They knew it was prophesied. They knew there was something special about what was going on. And they traveled. They took off traveling, right? It would have took somewhere between three months and 23 months. We don't know. We just know that Jesus wasn't quite two years old when they got to him. He wasn't a baby either because he was already born. 
but it would have took a little while to get there. These men knew who he was. They knew what was going on. And they actually, uh, when they were with Herod, they show a lot of excitement here. And they're talking about, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. They are there to worship the king of kings. I don't believe they were Jews, but they knew who they were going to see. They knew who they were going to see. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, which I think King Herod was always disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him, when he had called together all the people, people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, he replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and by no means or by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And uh, one thing that always strikes me in that is, it said that he was disturbed, but all the people of Jerusalem were. That's, that's awkward to me. I don't know why they would have been disturbed by the coming of the Messiah, uh, except for he will reveal your hearts. And... Uh, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star had, they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now you have to be somebody who really understands the stars to understand it stops over a certain place. Because if you're like me and you look up there and you're like, I don't know if that's over me or not, right? But they knew exactly where it was at and where it stopped. They're smart people, it seems like. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Yet again, I mean, when you know you're coming into the presence of the Lord, there's a, there's a joy like Pastor Chad said. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Could you imagine? There's no honor for a prophet in his hometown. There's no, like Jesus probably was just Jesus, and here's these three men of some kind of renown. Well, actually, there's more than three, probably at least 12. But And they come and they bow down, and they're worshipping this, this kid who may not even be a toddler yet. And they bow down and they worship him. And I imagine, I mean, they see him outside of the house. And I imagine they're, all the neighbors are like, what weirdos? What's going on? Right? It would be something you'd see, and then you'd probably dismiss it. Then they opened their treasures and presented them him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, myrrh, we know, is uh, used in death things. We know uh Frankincense, it's all kind of part of the uh, rituals for embalming and things like that. So you hear a lot of people talk about why that's why they bought that, brought that there. But actually, gold, frankincense, and mirror would have been used to anoint a new king. So they were actually anointing the new king when they came. They, uh, they knew who he was. They knew he was the king of kings. And... I mean, there may have been some kind of symbolism to the fact that they knew he was going to die. I don't know. But those are actually the three things you would have used to anoint a new king. So they are anointing the king of kings here. 
when they do this. And these are men who traveled to do this. And uh, when I think about that, I'm like, eh, would I travel maybe up to two years on a camel to go see the birth of somebody? I don't know. But they did. And uh, they knew who they were seeing. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And uh, I want to uh, I'm close, close us out with Luke 14 here. I think it's very important that we get this part here so we, uh, we can really understand what God's trying to talk to us today about. In Luke 14, chapter, or verse 12, it says, When Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. This is one of those things that a lot of times we, uh, we gather because we have to gather. There's one of these things where he's talking about don't just do things because it's what you do, right? Don't do that. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And that, when I hear that, makes me think about the celebration of Jesus Christ's birth. It wasn't his family that was there. It wasn't neighbors. It wasn't friends. It wasn't the king. It was the very most unlikely people you would think. It was the shepherds. It was old man Simeon in the temple. It was old woman Anna, who was old woman, literally old woman, it says about her, who had no family. And she'd just been in the temple for 60 years. And I imagine people probably looked at Anna as like, there's something different about that lady. Why is she always here? That's who Jesus, who was part of his celebration. That was who was part of his banquet, right? The Magi, who were, that very word actually, usually it's translated closer to the word sorcerer. They were probably considered to be magicians because they understood stars and they did a bunch of weird things. So they were actually probably more of the people you wouldn't want around at your banquet, especially when you're anointing a king, but that's who they had. Jesus invited the most unlikely people to his celebration because that's what he does, and those are the ones who were going to accept him. That's the most unique part about that. He knew who would accept him. Right? Because from Mark 6, we know loved ones don't always accept him. And we're going to get back to that here in a minute. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat and feast in the kingdom of God. Better believe you'll be blessed. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. He invited. He said, at the time of the banquet, his servant sent his servant to all who had been invited. And I want you to think of, uh, and it says he invited many guests. I want to think about the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. Who would have been there? In Bethlehem, 
Everybody in the family. Everybody related to them because they were all invited back to Bethlehem. There was tons and tons and tons of people there, but we only hear about a couple. There was a lot there that could have been a part of the celebration of Jesus Christ at the banquet there. And they weren't. I mean, there was a lot there. They came from all over because it would have been from the lineage of David. And these are people who should have knew Scripture best. These should have been the people who were looking for the Messiah more than anybody else because it was coming out of their lineage. The Messiah wasn't somebody who was going to be born randomly somewhere. They knew where the Messiah was coming from, from the people of Bethlehem. Many were invited to the celebration, but only a few came. He said, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Some said, hey, I don't have any room for you. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. It's a big place. The master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. I want you to think of this. It's Bethlehem. Everybody who should have knew who Jesus was was there. And only a few are celebrating. But I also want you to think about Christmas Day. Everybody who should know who Jesus Christ should have been celebrating Christmas. Being the Christians. Being those who follow Him. We were invited there for a banquet on Christmas Day. But we were too distracted by everything else to actually celebrate who Jesus is. Many were invited. Many were invited to celebrate on Christmas Day. Every day. We're invited to celebrate who Jesus is. Every day we're invited to His banquet. We are to proclaim Him. We are to praise Him. We are to thank Him for His goodness. We are to make Him the center of everything. Not to say that these people, you know, just because you got married didn't mean you couldn't go to the banquet and still be married. Right? Didn't mean you couldn't still perform your, your duties with your oxen. It's just sometimes those kind of things get in our way of proclaiming who Jesus Christ is in our lives, right? And worshiping who Jesus Christ is. Every day we all have stuff going on, but it should not be to the distraction of celebrating our relationship with Jesus Christ. And worship team, you can come up. We have to get to the point to where we're not distracted. We've been invited to this great banquet. We've been invited to spend time with Jesus. We've been invited to say, oh my goodness, I was there when he was born in my heart. Let me tell you about it. Right? I had room in my heart for him. I had that room. And you're thinking, like, that's weird to think of a room. But actually, our hearts, our, our lives should be laid out just like the tabernacle. Right? You go in the tabernacle, you have the outer court, you have the inner court, and you go into the holy place, and then you have the holy of holies. There's that one room for God. And that's the way our heart should be. It should be like 
He should be the center of that room in our hearts, and He should be born right there in that part. And we should celebrate that all the time. We should tell all the time about the day that Jesus was born in our lives. And the thing is, these people got to watch Jesus grow and all this, but we should be watching that same thing. Jesus should be growing in our lives. He's not just a baby. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. 100% man, but 100% God. And He wasn't just God. As some of us see just God, somebody who wasn't personable, He was fully God and He was fully Jesus. He's fully man. We have a personal relationship. He is like us, but He's also God. Some people see Him as only man, and they don't see the divinity of God, so they never have that relationship. But our lives should be about that relationship. Our lives should be about celebrating Him and who He is. And uh just hope you guys can think on that. There was a lot more going on during the, the nativity and the historical references and, and relevance of the birth of Christ. and It's something to be studied. And if we don't know Scripture, and we don't dive into the Word of God, we'll never know who Jesus truly is. You will never know. And you're like, oh, I pray all the time, and i got a relationship with Jesus. There's no foundation in that. You have to have a foundation, and you have to have the prayer. We have to have the, the Scripture, and we have to have the Spirit. And we should long for it. We should long for both. We should long to know all about God, but we should also long for Him to know us. Right? And we need to be that way. And our homes should be the first place that our family members, children, uh, brothers, sisters, whoever, that our home should be the first place they're learning who Jesus is. Where they're learning biblical foundations. It should be Sunday for a couple hours. When these kids leave the children's church, they can't survive off of what Josh and Rachel teach them. They won't survive off of that because the rest of the week something else is going to be taught to them. A whole bunch of other stuff is going to be taught to these kids. So if we're not teaching that over and over, making Jesus real and scriptures real, it goes back to what Christiana told me the other day. Why is this stuff not being taught? It shouldn't just be taught here. It should be taught in the homes. They should know who Jesus is and how to celebrate even at home. We should know. Everybody who comes in contact with us should be like, man, when I go over there, he's going to be talking about what Jesus did in his life and who he is. Yeah, be that Christian. Not condemning, but overjoyed in who he is. I like the Pastor Chad said we should be celebrating every day. Christmas should not be a one-time thing. It should be every day. And we have to be a part of that celebration. So I'm going to close in prayer. And if you need prayer, uh, I'm assuming the stream's already off anyway, but the uh, camera part, nobody will be up here if you need prayer. Pastor Chad's around myself. Or maybe you just want to go to the altar. Maybe you just want to praise and celebrate who He is. This is the time to do it. We are close. We're going into a new year. This ain't your traditional new year message, but it's a great way to go into the new year. So close in prayer. Father God, I thank you, Lord. 
I thank you that you have a bigger plan than we could ever have. I thank you for who you are. Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. But Lord, I thank you for being born in my heart. I thank you that you're the reason I should be celebrating every single day, Lord. Father God, where I fall short, Lord, where we all fall short, I pray you help us be better. I pray, God, that when we're in your presence, we can't help but tell everybody. I pray our lives would be about you, Lord. I pray we would be willing to, to run to your banquet, Lord. Oftentimes, God, I know that we grew up with you and we spent a lot of time with you and sometimes we don't give you the honor you deserve Lord but help us honor you daily God help us honor you not only in our actions but in our words and not only in public God but in private honor who you are Lord Lord change each of us in Jesus name we pray Amen says that the gospel is not just words, but there's power. It tells us there's power in the kingdom. And uh, we have to live a life that shows that there's power in who Christ is, there's power in the gospel, and we truly believe what he said and what he did and who he is. This isn't just a bunch of words when we read about what happened. You know, we, we grew up with this stuff. And it can get to the point that we don't give it honor and we don't give it power. But there's power in what Jesus did. And we live like that. We live like we have a, a God who wants to give healing. We live as if we have a God who has power. We live as if what we're told in Scripture is 100% true. We don't live by saying, yeah, that, I mean, I know that's true. but that's, No, we live as that's true power because it is. How we live how we proclaim Christ. So I'm going to close with some prayer and we'll be free to go and some of you have already left and that's fine. I know it's long. So. Father God, help us, Lord. Help us to live in your power, Lord. To, to, to know that what the Word says about you, who it says you are, Lord, we can believe it, we can trust it. Help us live it out. Let us walk in power, not just by words, Lord, but actually believe and knowing who you are. Knowing you're not just Jesus, but you're the Messiah. You're our Savior. You're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You are God of the universe. You created it all. You sustain it all. And you will take care of us all. Yours is the true power. Keep everybody safe. Help us be more focused on you this week, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.